Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. Can we get your Bibles? Open them up to the Gospel according to John chapter 13. The Gospel according to John chapter 13. And then I have another place, if we can get to it today, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So the Gospel according to John chapter 13 <clears throat> and 1 Corinthians. It's at this part of the story where he, actually this is the this is the, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to read through that, but some of it's definitely important when it comes to what it... Uh, but at this point in Jesus' life, um, he knows that he's... he's conversation uh, with his disciples about him going and where he's going, they can't come right now, and uh, all of the discomfort... Uh, that they were going to have, and Jesus is going to continue to say these things to them until the day that he actually is separated from them. Uh, and it points out in here specifically <clears throat> that the things that Jesus is telling them, that he's telling them because of the fact that he knows that he's about to leave and go to the Father. Um, so in this particular passage of Scripture, and I'll tell you what, this, this should be the theme of Christianity overall. I know that many times it's not, but it should be the theme of Christianity overall. Love. Now, not necessarily the theme that I would put on God, because we know that he is love, but he is also judge, right? When, it, when we are talking about our responsibilities, um, are we allowed to judge? That's God's job. We get to inspect fruit, right? Which there's a difference. Judging people is determining their final destination. Judging someone's fruit, determining by their fruit, means that I can look at somebody and their actions, the way they talk, and see whether they're a Christian or they're not a Christian. Jesus himself said, you will know them by their fruits. You will know people based on uh, whatever it is that they're producing. Um, now, as believers in Jesus Christ, it's very applicable when it comes to love. What does love produce? And a lot of people say, well, well uh, you know, love produces happiness. Is it the emotional love that, that produces happiness? Or is it the verb, the act of love, that produces? It's the act of love. So, so one thing he's trying to get across to his apostles here is what this act of love looks like. And it's significant, to be honest with you. And we'll talk about just how significant it is when we, uh, when we get to that point. But read with me, if you would, the Gospel according to John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. It says, now before the feast uh, of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his, his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, in other words, what was Jesus waiting for? For the Father to give all things into his hands, right? That's what he was waiting for. Now he knew, he knew that this happened. In other words, the timeline for Jesus is set. He knows that it's time. He has, he has done his work. Uh, Jesus, verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself about. So Jesus took his, his outer garments off 
and he took a towel and he wraps it, he ties it around his waist. Okay? And he, and he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm all messed up. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So the significance in this is this. According to Jewish law, was a person's feet clean or unclean? Unclean. Now, when I say when I say that they, I mean, there's reasons for it. How many of you guys have ever had a teenage son? Um, who likes to run a lot in their tennis shoes and I mean, you go in, go in their bedroom and you can find some that you can just stand up on their dressers and they would stand. Those feet are unclean, right? I mean, I even know some people who have, I even know some people who have some serious issues with feet. I mean, it's just that you, t- you touch somebody with your foot, they'll just, it's like they'll melt away to nothing because feet are unclean. I mean, honestly, how comfortable would you be to come up here and wash my feet? pretty uncomfortable right it's not it's not easy loving people's hard sometimes even unpleasant because loving people means we don't run around in the world attached to our emotions and swinging around based on those emotions we don't do that love's a verb if we love somebody it's not because we feel like we love somebody it's because we're actually acting like we love that person if we, if we look at an individual and say, um, I love that person, we're going to care about what happens to that person. And we're going to do anything we can to intervene as, 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 as well as Jesus might want us to to try to help in that situation. Love is a verb. If, I, if there's one huge thing that will yank you out of the, the American culture and straight into theology, love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. I've said before, people, people will go counseling and they'll sit down and, and, and one or the other will go, I don't love them anymore. And I'm like, that's obvious. You're sitting in my office. Did you get it? I don't love them anymore. It's obvious. Or you wouldn't be here. If you were loving them and they were loving you, if you were, if you were using that word like a verb and doing things that prove your love to the individual, the emotion will follow it 100% of the time. 100% of the time. But when people believe that it's just an emotion, things like a 75% divorce rate happen. Do you know why out of 98 people that I've done weddings for, four of them have divorced? It's because in four weeks, the people will walk out of there knowing that their relationship will make it only if they want it to. It's a matter of putting God in place and saying, I'm going to love my spouse. And that sometimes it's gross. You're going to be asked to do things, to clean up things, to, and if you love them, you're going to do it. 
Yes. Because it's just another opportunity to prove your love. Uh, it can be very isolating, especially if you're in a relationship where it's not reciprocated. But I can promise you this, it's as effective as a smile. You love somebody the way they're supposed to be loved long enough, they are going to love you back. If for no other reason, just because they feel guilty because you're doing all this stuff to love them. But who cares what the reason is? The result of the relationship is that the relationship grows stronger. And here's the deal. A lack of love creates a lack of opportunity. In other words, Jesus is not telling us to love just because he wants us to be people who walk around in a bubble fuzzy feeling good about loving people. I mean, he's actually trying to accomplish something by what it is that he's talking about. In this particular passage of Scripture with the Lord's Supper, when it says he rose from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself about. I would be willing to bet if I was a betting man, and I'm not, that Jesus knew which of the apostles' feet stink? Stopping from washing their feet? No. It did not. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now, the, but now all of you, of course, he's talking about Judas Iscariot. But in this passage of scripture, he says, you're already clean, completely clean. He gave a spiritual metaphor or a physical metaphor for a spiritual meaning in this particular place. He was, he was saying specifically here in this particular passage of scripture Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, you would think that Jesus would say, hey, you know, I'm showing you an expression of love, but let me ask you this. Is it okay to ask for love? Should you have to ask for love? If you shouldn't have to ask for love, it's not okay to ask for love. Love is something that two individuals, uh, two individuals are even like a church family. Love is something that has to be absolutely necessary. It was like I said this morning. I mean, I'll pray for anything anybody wants me to, but if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I need you to pray for me because we're a couple hundred bucks short on our electric bill and they're going to shut our electric off, is it right for me to just say, okay, I'll be praying for you? Or should I say, I'll be praying for you, but let me see what I can do. Call Alan, find out what's in the benevolent fund. That's love, Right? Love isn't, I'll take five or ten seconds out of my day to mention your problem in prayers so I can get on with my day and not ever think about it again. That's not love. How many of you guys went to churches that had the old traditional prayer chains where you actually called each other? Got to tell you, most terrible thing I've ever seen in my life. How many times I had to stand there and tell people, when the prayer chain comes to you, pass it on and pray. Don't go to the next person talk for an hour, and then pass it on. Because otherwise, the story changes, the amount of time between from one report to the next, the story changes, it, it breaks the chain. Now, are there cases where the Lord may tell you, just pray for someone? Yes, absolutely. 
But do you think that's the way that it is most of the time? Do you think that's the way it is most of the time? No. Prayer has to be coupled with the hands and feet of God's people. It has to be. We are the one that he chooses to use more than he chooses to intervene. Hear what I just said. He's still intervening, but he's intervening through the people that he called to him. He's intervening through people. That's the way he handles most of the business on earth. He has the people who have trusted in Jesus, who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is supposed to give that person wisdom, and that wisdom is supposed to be applied in action. And when it's applied in action, it has the result that God intended it to have. Most of the time, who do we expect personally to show up when we pray? God? I was sitting, sitting in a truck with a guy about three weeks ago two, three weeks ago. The guy's supposed to be coming to church sometime. He hasn't made it yet. But I sat in the truck with him, and this guy talked for 20, 25 minutes. And he just kept saying, you know, I walked away from God when my daughter died. And then my newborn died. This kid had two kids die. He's my age. He said, I talked and talked and talked to God, and he never answered me. He said, still today I talk to him, and he doesn't answer me. I'm like, dude. He's like, what? Who's sitting in your truck? There's a Southern Baptist preacher sitting in your truck right now, and you're sitting there saying that God has left you alone. If you're looking for God to show up in God form and sit in the driver of the passenger seat of your truck, you're asking for a little much. Never happened before. Probably ain't going to happen for you. But he's called individuals in this world who have gifts, and he expects those gifts to be employed in such a way that when I'm sitting in a truck with somebody and they say, I talk to God and I don't hear for him, you want to knock on their forehead and go, hello? Hello? The whole reason he wants us to love people is because that's the only way we can minister to them. If we don't minister to people in love, we will minister to them in our own human efforts. And what are our own human efforts going to bring about? Attitude, problems, difficulties. I've said many times before, this is Jesus' church. He can do whatever he wants to with it. But when I look across the sanctuary, there's a ton of hope in it. Because I see a guy who used to be a, who uh, was just recently a pastor, has a lot of qualities that come in handy around here. He's got a wife that's capable. She's praying about seeking the Lord and where she's going to serve. And we have somebody who, when it comes to activities on the grounds, has got gifts. When it comes to people's willingness to work in a nursery or teach a Sunday school class or, I mean, what does that obviously tell me? God hasn't abandoned us by no means. He's still calling people to this church. He's still gifting them and equipping them to be able to be used in the service of the ministries of this church. So he's here. He expects us to love people. We're going to jump over to, not the, not the new book, thir chapter 13, verse 33. You can read through the rest of that if you'd like to. It talks about Jesus' betrayal. This is uh, long towards the end of chapter 13. Still in context, verse 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as long as I, 
I'm sorry, you shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews, I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How much is the husband supposed to love his wife? So much he's willing to give up his life for? And you know in that passage of Scripture that Jesus is also a double meaning. He's also talking about the relationship between him and the church, the bride and the, and the bridegroom. In this passage of Scripture, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Out of all of the things in the world, what specifically sets Christians apart from all other religions and all other people? The one thing that sets them apart. We're supposed to love. But not just love. Did you see it? You love one another just as I have loved you. This is huge. Because when we look at how Jesus loves us to come up with a definition of how we're supposed to love other people, what conditions were there in Christ's love for us? But let's face it and be honest. This is a human attribute, and it's one that's very difficult for us to suppress. Very difficult for us to suppress. When we love people, that means we love them in spite of them. Because, again, how many of you people in the church are perfect? Some people are more sensitive than others. Some people are going to have their feelings hurt without anybody intending to hurt somebody's feelings. Somebody's going to... But think about this. If this expression of love was exactly what Jesus Christ intended to be and it was unconditional, then that means that I can get frustrated at you, but I don't have the right not to love you. I can be disappointed in you, but I don't have, to have, I don't have the right to, to not love you. I can be anything that I want to be, but I don't have the right to not love you. Here, look. Flip over real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to go through 13, but here's what I want you to see first. <clears throat> 14, chapter 14. Look at, don't lose your place. I know it's just one chapter, but chapter 14, verse 1. Read this with me just for a few verses. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, <clears throat> but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Now here's the deal. A prophet wasn't somebody who was a fortune teller. The biblical definition of a prophet was someone who spoke in absolute truth under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament would have been under the leadership of God. In other words, a prophet was somebody that God gave a message to, told them where to send that message to, and they carried that message to whatever city it was that they were supposed to be saying. So they were, they were prophets. They, they didn't wake up one night and all of a sudden um, know what was going to happen on their 86th birthday. It's not how that works. So when he says... When he says um, look, look at how he phrased it again, chapter 14, 1. Pursue your love, yet desire spiritual gifts. 
In other words, what's first? Spiritual gifts or love? Love is first. Always first. But then he says, you know what? That's not enough. Love's not enough. Love's what we're supposed to be. Love is not something to do. It's supposed to be something that we are. I mean, it's ingrained in our, in our Christian makeup, our genetics. We have the ability as, as uh, believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we have the ability to be able to love people. The more we yield to God, the more we love people. But is me physically loving here? Oh, I'm on a star fight. Is lifestyle evangelism enough? Now, do you need me to explain what lifestyle evangelism is? Lifestyle evangelism is people who actually think that it's enough for them to live like a Christian. Just for people to be able to see it, to recognize there's something different, and then for them to find out somehow that you're a believer in Jesus. Is lifestyle evangelism enough? No, it's not. Is it important? It's very important for, for people who are Christians to walk the walk and talk the talk. So, pursue love means that's the priority, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But did you notice which of the three that he said was the best ones? Are the best one? Well, uh, besides love, love's the priority, the one thing we should be doing. What, what kind of gifts are there? Speaking in tongues? Healing? Prophecy? Which one did he say? Desire prophecy. But what, what does it seem like in this world today? Anybody who seems to be seeking after a particular gift, which ones do they seek after? Prosperity? Healing? Speaking in tongues is huge. Entire denominations have built speaking in tongues. In, I mean, built their entire church around speaking in tongues. Some churches, not all of them, but some churches believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you're lost. You don't get to go to heaven to speak in tongues. Uh, so it actually goes that far. And, and I'll be willing to stand up here and tell you there's a biblical definition of what tongues is. There's three. And every one of them, even you noticed in this one here, what did he say? If a man prophesies, he speaks to men. Man speaks in the tongue. Who's he talking to? And what does he speak out of? His mouth? Is that what it said? Did it say he speaks out of his mouth? Or did it say he speaks out of his spirit? Never intended to be said out loud. Your spirit don't make a noise, just in case anybody was wondering. If your spirit ever talks to you, I'd see a doctor, get an appointment. The Holy Spirit should be talking to you. But if a verbal noise ever comes out of your spirit, I'm serious. I might need to call some friends. We'll do an exorcism. <laughs> so the gift, the best gift, why? I mean, he explains what prophecy is. What better gift could you desire than the ability to be able to comfortably and clearly proclaim the gospel to the lost and dying people in this world. Now, people will put a ton of value in gifts, and they completely forget or miss why God gave us the gifts in the first place. He didn't give us gifts for us to be able to draw attention to ourselves and glorify ourselves and to accept the glory from other people. He gave us gifts so that lost people could be saved. That's why he did it. 
He, he, he gives us instructions in here about how we clean up. And people are like, oh, God's just trying to control me and trying to make me do everything right. No, that's not what he's doing. He's preparing you so that you are actually capable of being able to minister to people. I've, I've said before, God will not let me preach a message on anything that I haven't mastered. Now, is mastered perfect? No, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not putting that standard on myself. But he won't, he won't let me preach anything that I haven't mastered. Why? Maybe, maybe just me. I don't know, but why? I mean, what's the definition of hypocrite? And if somebody finds out that somebody's a hypocrite, what does it do for their relationship? Why are there qualifications in Timothy and Titus for a pastor and deacon? I mean, no human can perfectly fill those, those qualifications, but they're there because individuals are supposed to be able to be tested, meaning be proven in the eyes and hearts of other people that they have been gifted with whatever qualities and characteristics that are Christian characteristics. If, you walk, if somebody walked into a church that you were a part of and there was no pastor and this dude just walks in and goes, I decided last night in my prayer time I'm going to be a preacher, would you hire him? Of course not. Well, why not? Because they don't have the qualities and characteristics to be effective in the job. They're going to create more problems than they are solutions, right? So God gives us this to tell us how to become a little bit less like us and a little bit more like him. And as we continue to be conformed to him, this love becomes something that's pretty natural. It's almost frustrating how natural it is because sometimes you don't want to do it. I'm just being honest. Phone call, phone call, two o'clock in the morning, drive to the city to the hospital. Who wants to do that? But if you love somebody, does it matter how you feel about it? Because love's not an emotion. God is preparing us as individuals for the level of service that he has called us to. And anybody in here who has been in that service knows that to be a fact because you are actually living the result of that. You don't have to tell a Sunday school teacher to love her students. Did you know that? They just do it naturally. The love that a Sunday school teacher has for a student is actually transferred through the gift that God gave them. But if we don't get enough of us out of the way, then there's not going to be enough of him come in to be able to make a big difference. So the, the daily dying to ourselves means every little part of us that, that is contrary to who God wants us to be, we should be working on. But if we have an issue with love and the Holy Spirit speaks to us when we talk about the biblical definition of love, where should that go in the priority of attention? that we should be turning to it first. Why? You probably wouldn't ask that question because it's pretty obvious. Life gets better when you start loving your spouse and your spouse starts loving you the way that Jesus intended him to. Life gets better for people who are having a bad day when occasionally you just drop a message to let them know you're praying for them. These are simple things. And people who love people I told my wife the other day, I, I haven't been able to sleep. Like three days, I haven't been able to sleep. 
I'm on. I'm running on about six hours of sleep over three days. I can't sleep because my spirit's just churning inside my body. Because I know people are going through things and I want to fix it. Can I fix it? I'm sure some things I could. Some things are outside of my power. Can't fix them. But what's the purpose of being a church if a church doesn't have the ability to continue to show God in a world that is godless? Because we live in a godless world. I'm going to read straight through these verses. We'll close. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. I want you to grasp this for a second. Grasp a hold of this. How many 100% guarantees do you get in spirituality in the Bible? What would you call that? Listen, folks. This is one area of our Christianity where we are guaranteed a 100% return. 100% return. How many of you guys would go share the gospel more with people if you had a 100% chance they'd accept? Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Love is unstoppable when it's the type of love that Jesus showed us. Jump to nine. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall, uh, then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Jesus is going to come back and get his church, amen? He's going to come back and get it. Out of all the prophecies listed, or out of all the gifts listed, listed, let's repeat them. Faith, hope, love. Okay? Faith, hope, and love. What happens to hope when Christians are all taken out of here? It's fulfilled, Right? I mean, the word hope won't even exist anymore because that's all that will exist is the fulfillment of the hope. 
right? Prophecy. Is there going to be a need for it when Jesus comes back and gets his church? Tongues. Going to be a need for it when Jesus comes back and gets his church? How long will love last? Love is the only one out of the entire category that's eternal. It's the only thing out of the entire category that's, that's eternal. We will love each other the way God intended us to love each other when we get to heaven. And that expression of love is going to be reciprocated to God for the love that he showed us. So if I was to tell you, and I hope this don't happen because I am not prophesying to be clear. If I was to tell you that your house was going to burn to the ground, but there was one dresser in that house that would not be touched by flames. How much stuff would you could how much stuff would you see if you could get in that one dresser? So out of everything in the scripture, only one's eternal. Love. Out of everything in scripture, aside from trying to outgive God, you guys know you can't outgive God, right? It's also a guarantee that he gave. You give to him, he says he'll give it back. Shaken, pressed down, your cup overflows. And in that passage of scripture, he actually says, try me in that passage of scripture. In this one, love never fails. If you were buying a stock, would you invest in one that was guaranteed 100% return? or the possibility of a very small percentage of a return. What's worth investing in is the point that I'm making. In life, what is worth investing in? Investors always count on a return. And everything that you do on this planet may accomplish something, but it will not all be accomplished for God. Love is defined by God that accomplishes things. As the song leaders come forward. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe you had at some point in your life and you wanted to just follow through with believer's baptism. Whatever your reason may be, if the Holy Spirit moves you, please come up and see me. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, um, try me. Try God. I mean, I, I honestly say don't put God to the test, but where he actually says never fails or where he actually says try me, it's okay to do that. I tried something with some of the counseling couples that I had counseled before. I told them, I said, you take four weeks, this four weeks over this four-week counseling, you take those four weeks, and I want you to see which of the two of you can be better than the other one. Beginning of it, she was mad at him. He didn't get to go anywhere. He was mad at her. They were sleeping in separate rooms. There was all kinds of things that were going on. The things that he wanted to do that she would not let him do, after four weeks of him trying to outdo loving her, she was ready to send him to do whatever it was that he wanted to do. It's amazing how this stuff comes full circle. It is absolutely amazing. I'm asking you, believer, love. Not in the emotion. Love in action. Guarantee you that if you do it and you do it right, the way that God intended, that God's going to use you in ways that you never imagined. In your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your church, 
this is where all of the eggs belong in the basket. Love, love, love. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.